body uh, was Friday night, and we left pretty heavy. And we do that on purpose. It's not like a, we're trying to fool with your emotion. The reality is we're really terrible about rem- remembering the weight of Christ's sacrifice. Growing up in the church and having served a church as long as I have, we love Easter, and we should, but we can't get to Easter without Friday. And so we left quietly, and we left with a burden. We left heavy. Our hearts were heavy. Our minds were heavy. Maybe even some of our feet were heavy as we walked out. And as we gather here today with a day of silence in between, where, where God is doing his most incredible work, it was quiet on planet Earth. It was quiet in eternity as Christ's death became real and his work became final. When he said, it is finished, what he meant was the the battle was over. This is a song that we just sung. But God's silence gives him the last word. God's silence never means his absence. And so whatever whatever baggage you brought in this morning and you feel like God's absent from your life, you feel like he's silent just because you don't hear him doesn't mean that he's not working, because the day after his silent day is Resurrection Day, and guys, that is why we're here. Not just on this Sunday, but that is why we are here, period. This was God's plan from the beginning when he created all things, and he created us in his image. And us, as sinners, we chose to be like God instead of to be with God, and we were cast out of the Garden of Eden. So if, you're not, if you don't know the Christian story, when God spoke into creation, he created all things, and they were good. And then he created us in his image, and he said it was very good. And in our brokenness, we chose to not just bite the apple. It had nothing to do with the apple. What it had to do was breaking the command of God. And the lie that was told in the garden, and the lie that's continuing to be told is, if you get what you want, you can be who you want to be. That's what our world tells us. Even some in the church will tell you that. You can try harder. You can work harder. You can do all the things to become a better you. And that's the anti-gospel. That's a lie. And that was the lie that fractured humanity in the garden. And so from that day, as we were cast from the garden into the desert sand, we've been trying to get back into the garden. Our church has been going through the book of Exodus over the course of the last year. It's hard to believe it's been a year, and we're nearly done, almost. But one of the things that I love about the story of Exodus is God's consistent pursuit of his people. And so there are laws, there are sacrifices, there are feasts, and there are festivals. And all the while, what he's doing is he's just taking a big arrow, and he's pointing forward to his son who would come and make all things new. There was no goats or lambs or any kind of animal that could be sacrificed on the altar to bring us back into the right standing with God. There was nothing that we could do. And yet God in his sovereignty and his grace and mercy sent his son, who was the perfect sacrifice. And so on Friday, in a way, we celebrated his death because we know that in his death comes new life, and that new life is what we celebrate Today. I love this line from C.S. Lewis. He's one of my favorite people to read, but a very good thinker. Listen to what he says. He says, Christianity, if, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. All of our faith, all of human history hinges on what we do with a tomb that is empty. 
You can't come to a grave where a body once laid and now is gone and leave unchanged. You will do one of two things. You will turn in doubt, you will turn in fear, and you will deny him. Or you will fall to your knees and you will worship him. We did this on last Easter, and I think it's a a beautiful picture, but this idea of the cycle of death, where it starts with, we are sinners, right? So we have fear and failure and shame and, and all of these things that are the consequence of sin. And those are the things that we feel. But it's not just sin, but it's the absence of the presence of God in our lives. Our sin separates us from Him. So we have fear, and then we have life, and then we have death. And that seems to be the cycle of humanity, but it's not. It's not. The cycle of humanity is love, death, and then life. And that is what we see in Jesus. So what do we do with this empty tomb? If you have your Bible, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. And as you go there, I want to read a quote from one of my heroes. Tim Keller wrote this. Listen to what he says. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he has said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Let's pray before we read from Matthew 28. Father, we are thankful for this day. We are thankful that from the beginning of time, when you spoke into creation all things, that you had a plan to dwell with your people. So we thank you today for Jesus, the perfect Son of God, perfectly man and perfectly human, who came and lived perfectly, died a horrible death, and wondrously rose. And in his rising, we rise. And we thank you for that. In this moment, I pray for the Big C Church that's gathering around the world. Some have already closed their services. Some are walking into their service. We pray that the gospel will be clear, that lives will be changed, and that the kingdom will forever be different because of the messages and the songs of today. So would you use this time in a mighty way across this globe? We love you, we trust you, we thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. This is the account, Matthew's account of the resurrection. It says this, Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men, but the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Verse 6, 
he is not here. For he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and he said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. We often will give the definition of faith as the belief in the things unseen. And in this moment, their faith became real because they saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, we've already said that all of humanity hinges on what we do with this day. What do we do with a stone that's been rolled away? What I love in this text is where is the angel sitting on top of it? There's nothing in here. There's nothing in here but death. Death itself. Jesus is not here. I'm not in there. And neither are you. But all the garbage, all the sin, the the anger, the lust, the pride, the greed, the addiction, the shame, the fear, the addiction, whatever the thing, that stayed in there. And now we walk confidently because we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So we can't come to an empty tomb and leave unchanged. There are three things I want us to see in how Jesus, in what Jesus does in this moment. In the idea of putting our faith in Jesus' perfect life and his brutal death and his wondrous resurrection. It is a mystery how it changes everything about us. The first is that we are forgiven of our sins, not once, but forever. There is no sin, if you are in Christ, that will fully separate you from God. Now, there is a place for repentance, and there is a place for forgiveness. But there is nothing that you can do to separate yourself from God. The second, we are adopted into God's family, and we're filled with His Spirit. This is a promise in the Bible. We are adopted into God's family. The beauty of the story of adoption is you were picked. You were chosen, and you were loved before you were known. The third is we are given eternal life that is guaranteed forever. Guaranteed forever. This is why we worship. This is why we gather. This is why we sing songs and we read from the Word of God. But the message of the gospel has been manipulated in our world. But it's not just us, so... But it's always been this way. From the moment Christ left the tomb, people have been doubting Him. And they've been spreading lies. And the lie is this. If you live a good life, you'll die and go to heaven. That is not the message of Jesus. The message of the gospel is that while we were still sinners, and the Bible says while you were a sinner, you were dead. That's the definition. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
He died for us. He died for me. And he died for you. One of my favorite all-time quotes, and you'll get this one every Easter, so don't feel, don't feel like you have to write it down because it'll be here again next year. We might use it again on Sunday. I don't know yet. It's from Bob Goff, who's a really creative, clever guy. He wrote this, death has a way of always looking like it's going to win. Before I read the end of it, I know it's on the screen, so you already know the end. Just imagine what's going on in the minds of the disciples when they rolled that massive stone over that tomb. Was he really who he said he was? Are we sure he's the Messiah? Because he sure does look dead. It looks like death has won. Don't we do that in our own lives? We'll look at our own sin, our our own stuff, and we'll think that that identifies us, that that's who we are, and it doesn't. He goes on to say, death always looks like it's going to win right up until it doesn't. He's not from the South, I don't think, but I'm sure he's saying it like right up until it don't. Death doesn't win. That is the story of the Christian The death of Jesus wasn't the death of life. It wasn't the death of God. It wasn't the death of eternity. The death of Jesus was the death of death. It was the death of sin. It was the death of Satan. It was the death of evil. It was the death of darkness. And on Friday, we talked about painting a picture with a dark brush. When you to cover up dark paint, you need a lot of white paint. But not in this story because the whole bucket gets dumped out, and now there is no darkness left on the canvas. The resurrection of Jesus, it gives us three things. It gives purpose to our existence. It gives direction to our identity. And it gives hope to our mission. The reason that we're still here is because God is using the church to change the future. God is using the church, He's using Christians, He's using me, and He's using you to spread the gospel to the darkest nooks and crannies on the planet so that the kingdom is more beautiful. That is our mission. When Jesus says go, He meant go. One of my favorite questions at the end of, that's uh, in the Gospel of Mark is this. It says, why do you seek the living among the dead? I got to imagine that question hurt. When the disciples come running, right, we saw Mary and the other Mary. I think you want to be Mary and not the other Mary. I don't know. You don't want to be known as the other guy, Right? Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary, they went to see the tomb. And there, everything changed. And then they were given a a mission, go and get the disciples. And the disciples come running. And we know that Peter was last, because that's how Peter rolls. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And in the most powerful statement in all of Scripture, it just says, he is alive. He's alive. He is not here. And now he rules and reigns forevermore as king. As king. He is 
the Savior of the world. But this is more than just a declaration of where Jesus is. He is not here. It's not about his location. It's about his rule. It's a proclamation of our identity. What they thought would be sealed when they rolled the tomb over the uh, the stone over the tomb really just sealed the promise of God that I will be your God and you will be my people. And forevermore that is true. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read starting in verse 3. As you flip there, I'm going to read another Keller quote. He says, The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe Yet we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared to hope. I, I don't know. I, I hope for someone here that that line is what changes everything. And I hope the Spirit will use that in a way to convict your heart of your sin and just to give you the confidence that you are loved more than you could ever dream of. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible has an exclamation mark there. They're shouting this from the rooftop. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory in honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, guys listen, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is why it had to be Jesus and he had to die. For this to be true, he had to die. Another fun C.S. Lewis quote. This isn't in here, but I have some more time, so I'm going to give it to you. It says he has to either be a liar or a lunatic, or he has to be Lord. Either he's not who he said he was, so he's a liar, or he's crazy. Right? Only a crazy person is going to go around and say, I am the Messiah, and think that he can heal people. Or... And this is the Christian's option. He's Lord. And we don't know that he's Lord because he raised dead people to life. We know he's Lord because he rose from death to life. And it's in his rising that we are risen finally and forever. That is Easter. That is love that leads to death. 
that leads to life. So here at The Branch, we're going to close our service a little bit differently today. But we close every gathering by taking communion because we believe that by taking the bread and dipping it in the cup, it doesn't save us, but it does remind us that we have been saved. So if you're not a member of our church, you go to church somewhere else, you're invited to take communion here. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you just dwell on what it might mean to follow Jesus. What has to die so that you might live? In our gospel, our good news is that Jesus has already died. And in his death, he's took on your shame. He's took on your fear. He's took on the thing that you don't want anyone else to see or to know about. And the only thing that was finally sealed behind that tomb was that. And that is why we celebrate. So I want to invite you into a time of communion. Before I do that, I want to invite a handful of people up here uh, to the front. And if I didn't tell you that you were going to do this when we talked on the phone this week, that's on me. But you're going to do it, okay? Um, One of the things that I love about how we do Easter here at the branch is we also do baptisms on Sunday. And so we're going we're gonna to take communion, and we're going to sing a couple songs, and we're not dismissed. Okay, I'm going to come back at the end, and I'm going to invite you out to the parking lot because uh, we're not allowed to put a lot of water on the basketball court. So we're going to go do that outside in the parking lot. It drains better. Um, it's just what I've heard. I don't know. Um, and we'll end our gathering outside, okay? I'm thankful that it's not raining. Um, it might be a little cold, but it's going to be fine. So what I want to do now is I want to invite those who are going to be baptized today Um, up to the front, and we're just going to, as a church, as the body of Christ, we're going to pray over them. A lot of these have been following Jesus for some time and are now taking the next step in obedience by being baptized. Um, So I'm going to start rattling off some names. Uh, Tyler Goodwin, would you come up? Sally Trapnell, Rachel Munoz, Cece Felty, Jonathan I hope you can get your guitar up tuned quick enough, but we're going to bring you up early. Uh, Jacob Topai and Carson Maloof. All right. This is an exciting time for our church just to be able to celebrate what God's already done in your life. There's nothing about that frigid water out there that is going to save you. But it is an act of obedience that says, my life now stands for Jesus. I am dead to who I was. I'm dead to my sin, and I'm alive in Christ. And so I, we, I just want to pray over you. I want to pray over your faith, your journey, your uh, participation in, in this church and in your spiritual formation. And then we're going to celebrate you guys. And then I invite all of you uh, into a time of communion. Okay? Father, we are so thankful for this day. We're so thankful for uh, a time to be able to gather and to celebrate life over death. And so I pray uh, for these. I pray for Tyler and for Sally, for Rachel, for Cece, Jonathan, Jacob, and Carson. I pray that the faith that they're displaying in baptism would be rooted and cemented for all of their days. And we believe that because that is what you've told us. And so I pray that their lives would reflect the gospel, that they'd be bearers of good news and uh, shine light 
into whatever area of life that you call them into, through vocation or raising children, uh, school, whatever it is, I pray that you would use them as beacons of hope and light. So now as a church, we covenant to walk alongside them, to encourage them and to exhort them, to rebuke them and to love them. And so would you remind us as often as we see them of that commitment. So, Father, now as we move into a time of communion, as we celebrate new life, would you draw us to yourself? Would you eliminate distractions? Would you help us to dwell well in your presence? We thank you that we get to do Easter on this day and every time we're together. And so I pray for uh, brothers and sisters in the room that you would remind them of who you are in what you have done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We love you. We pray in Jesus' beautiful, living name. Amen. Will you come to the table? Let's worship.